When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Charged Up Studio Live, where small business owners get charged up for success. Are you a small business owner? Do you find yourself struggling through the many responsibilities that come with the title entrepreneur? Well, we're here for you. Charged Up Studio is hosted by Marketatomy LLC, your prescription for what we call OPA. What is OPA? It's when you become so overwhelmed with the confusion that comes with business ownership that you become paralyzed and ultimately avoid doing anything in hopes it will take care of itself or you put it off till later. Does that sound familiar? I'm your host, Dan Olivo, and each week we bring a business professional eager to charge you up as they talk about the many things that keep you from moving forward with your small business. So are you ready to get charged up for success? Let's hit it. So hello, Charged Up Studio listeners, and welcome back to Charged Up Studio as we kick off our fourth season. This season promises to take things up a notch as we introduce a whole new lineup of experts committed to ensuring that you, the small business owner, get all of the information you need to grow your small business. What better way to kick off this new season than to get the download on what we can expect over the next 12 months and beyond. Our guest this morning is a business economics consultant who loves to connect the dots between economy and business. He's a professor at Duke University and a senior contributor to Forbes. His expertise has contributed to helping with business decisions regarding capital expenditures, staffing, inventory levels, expansions into new markets, pricing business models, and financial structure. Everything that I am extremely familiar with, but I deliver it on a different way. (laughs) So let's all give a charged up studio welcome to Mr. Bill Connerly. Hello, Bill. Hello, Dana. And just one minor correction. I'm not a professor at Duke. That's where I did my uh, PhD in economics. All right. All right. Sometimes that communication just kind of gets turned around a little bit. (laughs) But thank you for correcting me. Thank you for correcting me. So let's talk a little bit about economics. Um, Just roughly, I deal with SMBs, small and medium business owners, on a daily basis. And one of the hardest things for SMBs to pay attention to is what's happening in the environment around them that could influence their business decisions. So talk a little bit about what the economic outlook for the next year looks like. Yeah. Let me just sort of begin a moment. The economy affects all small businesses. It affects the volume of sales. It affects the ability to 
um, get the resources, and that may be employees, or it may be financing, or it could be the materials that a, a, like a store would resell. So the economy affects businesses, but boy, it's pretty confusing because there are so many indicators coming at people from all sides. So one of the things we ought to talk about, I'm happy to give you my forecast, but one of the things we ought to talk about is, is just how a small business sorts through all the information coming. Yeah. But to answer your question, I think that the U.S. economy is in for a recession starting late this year, late 2023 or early 2024. So it's not on our doorstep, but it's coming down the street. Right. And now is when we need to be planning for this. OK. Yeah. I had a friend, if, if I may interrupt, yep. I had a friend say uh, when he heard the uh, forecast for late 23 or early 2024, he says, oh, gee, if we're going to have a recession, I'd like to get it over with. And I said, I understand that feeling, but how about using this period to plan what you're going to do when the recession really comes? Right, right. So considering the fact that we're dealing with small and medium business owners, and you're an economist, and I remember my economy classes in school, okay? And we talked about the bell curve, the demand and supply, you know, and things like that. Let's talk a little bit about how this recession is affecting the demand and supply on the private side and even on the public side. Yeah. Well, one of the, the first things uh, to keep in mind is that different sectors of the economy are impacted uh, in different magnitudes. So if you are doing uh, new home construction, that is like ground zero. Mortgage rates went up after home prices had already gone up. Affordability went down. And people who are in that whole chain, from contractors to realtors, mortgage brokers, title insurance salespeople, they're, they feel like they're in recession right now. Right. January of uh, 2023. But if you're in healthcare, healthcare will probably scoot through without feeling a drop in demand. So one thing to keep in mind is how interest sensitive is, is my business. Mm -hmm. And then there's a timing issue because like I said, uh, real estate construction has uh, slowed down already. Healthcare has not, but there are going to be ripple effects the interest-sensitive sectors like construction and not only residential, but non-residential, uh, other interest-sensitive sectors are like business spending on equipment, machinery, computers. Though When those companies cut back, there'll be ripple effects across the whole economy, and the ripple effects occur last. Yes. So a small business owner could think, oh, am I, uh, is my volume of business sensitive to interest rates or am i going to feel feel it only when the ripple effects set in across the whole economy well and 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 getting back to what you're talking about you know not only is the economy um uh, subjective to interest rates and things like that but regionally okay yeah. regionally has a great deal i live in florida right now our construction market especially on the housing side is is strong. Yeah. And it's strong because we have a very low inventory. We don't have enough inventory, you know, to to house the people who are coming into Florida. And I would imagine it's the same in Texas and 
Phoenix, I think, is another one. And um, I mean, Arizona and uh, Nevada. Those are the, the four main areas, I think. Even South Dakota, I believe. <laughs> so, so regionally, it can, you know, if we're located in Florida, we're not feeling the pinch right now on yeah. certain things. But at the same time, you go to the store. I went to the store the other day and a carton of eggs have jumped $2. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Eggs in particular have gone up. So yeah. I think it's worth thinking in terms of um, a business cycle going up and down overlaid on a regional trend. And uh, the Florida, Texas, the states with both low housing costs and low personal income taxes, those are growing. The states with high housing costs and high personal income taxes are shrinking. So we're talking about California, we're talking about Connecticut. Those high tax, high cost states are shrinking. So uh, the business owner should think, oh, is my area uh, shrinking or expanding? But layer on top of that, the recession, because eventually the recession will hit almost all parts of the country and most industries, but sooner or later and lesser or, or greater magnitudes, depending upon the specifics of location and industry. Right. Does that make sense? It, it, it makes sense to me, you know, um, <laughs> and, you know, let's, let's look at it. Uh, uh, let's take a little bit of a sidestep here. Okay. When we talk about industries, okay, there's been a lot of reports just recently over the last week, week and a half, Google technology industries are laying off like crazy yeah. right now. And those layoffs can have a gigantic effect on our businesses if we rely on technology or if, you know, <laughs> sorry, um, or not only that on our labor force. Okay, we've been talking, the, the, um, the government's been putting out how our labor numbers have been, you know, climbing and things like that. But what they're not taking into consideration are those individuals who have just given up. Yeah, well, th th there's some of that, but let me uh, caution about those headlines. And uh, certainly there have been a lot of headlines of, of layoffs, you know, IBM, Intel, all sorts of uh, tech companies and non-tech companies as well doing some layoffs. But we are not seeing that in the aggregate total employment data. So one of the good indicators, uh, leading indicators for the overall economy is how many people are filing their first first time claim for unemployment insurance. And that's not uh, a newspaper headline. That's a hard statistic of somebody went through the process of filing the claims and they fell last week. They are well below the long run average. So yeah, it's going, it's probably going to increase, but right now we're not seeing it. And one of the interesting bits of information uh, in most cases, we have trouble separating out what's happening with small business from what's happening with big companies. But we do know that hiring has increased at small businesses. Uh, 
And as I was talking to small business owners last year, they wanted to hire many of them, but were unable to find people. Well, they're now able to find people, and that is leading the overall economy up. But when a, a company with five employees is able to hire a sixth employee, that does not make the headlines. Yeah. But there are so many million small businesses that as they move up, it affects the economy without making headlines. So right. that's something to keep in mind. Right. Well, and then the other side of the coin is since COVID started, we've had a tremendous increase in new business startups. Yeah. Okay. And those new business startups, which is, you know, uh, my biggest concern, because that's what we focus on, is making sure those new business startups have the knowledge base that they need in order to succeed in business. Right. Right. Okay. And, and in order to reduce the number of failed businesses, which we're coming up on that two-year mark. Yeah. All right. But it, and isn't that a common It's time? a common thing, yeah, you right. know. So, um, you know, what, what Marketatomy, what my company is all about is let's bring that education, the resource management, you know, and the accountability to these small business owners where they can get the information that they can't get right now from the federal government. Right. You know, um, so <laughs> where do you see with that in mind, what do you see happening over the next maybe 12 to 18 months as far as the small business the, the micro business market, not the right. small business. SBA classifies the small businesses 500 employees or less. Those aren't the companies we're talking about. We're talking yeah. about one to five employees or eight employees. Yeah. Well, we have evidence that small businesses are more sensitive to business cycles than large companies. They go up higher, they come down lower. Uh, so I would expect, I don't see any reason for that to change, you know, but every cycle is a little bit different, but I would expect that small businesses will be hurt more in the recession than the overall economy. Uh, and again, but again, it depends on, on, on the sector uh, and, you know, the, the contractor with, you know, two people helping um, uh, is in a different situation again than somebody who's maybe providing janitorial services for a hospital. I mean, that's probably going to, to be yeah. on there. So I would suggest to small business owners, first of all, think a little bit about what actually drives your, your volume of business. Right. Uh, is it a particular group of consumers? Is it a particular a group of, of other businesses, if you're in the B2B space, what drives your business? What would lead your, your customer base to have more income or less income, to have to cut back or to be ready to expand? And that's the first step. Uh, I would also suggest, and this is um, maybe jumping ahead of where you wanted the conversation to go. But one of the things we should talk about is contingency planning. Yeah. Uh, what is a company going to do if hard times hit and thinking that through ahead of time? Well, and, and with that being said, now, um, you know, basic economy says in a, in a period of recession, private sectors tend to cut back and yeah. hold back on spending public on the other side, government and everything, they pump more money into the economy. 
Yes, but may I? Yes. Uh, the federal government is likely to try to pump more money in. Uh, this time, though, the politics get a little bit dicey, but it's probably true that the federal government will. State and local governments are a somewhat different story um, because most state and local governments have to run a balanced budget mm -hmm. and the economy goes they into have, recession. They can't print their own money. <laughs> they can't print their own money, right? The yeah. Fed. They wish they could. Yes. Uh, but um, uh, when recession hits, personal income taxes go down, uh, re, uh, sales taxes revenue goes down, and property tax revenue does not increase as much. But there's a time lag involved because what uh, state and local governments are spending today is based on budgetary decisions that the legislature or the city council made last, last year. And as a result, there's a, a time lag. And so state and local government spending will probably drop like a year after the recession hits. So I, I wouldn't say that, you know, the public sector goes up uh, if you're selling to other uh, to government agencies, I would think, OK, first of all, is it federal or is it state and local? And then I'd think about oh, what's their budget situation going to be in the next fiscal year for which they're spending their money? Right, right. One of the things that we are working heavily, um, aggressively on through our company is introducing these micro businesses to the federal side, as well as the state, municipal, and, and county side, uh, but more on the federal side and okay. getting them so that they can show up properly for working with the federal government, either on a no-bid situation, a competitive bid situation, or whatever, making sure that they're registered with SAM and, and SBA and, and everything else in an effort to prepare them for diversifying their revenue stream. Yeah. Because that revenue diversification is what's going to help them mitigate what the recession might have on them. Right. And that's probably one of the reasons that the statistics show small business is more volatile, higher highs and lower lows is the lack of diversification, whereas a large corporation often is selling to various sectors of the economy, public and private um, individuals and B2B. Uh, so I, I think diversification is valuable. Um, of course, the, then you get into the business strategy of, uh, gee, do we go outside of the area that we really understand in pursuit of diversification? And that's a matter of weighing yeah, risks that's, that's and benefits. Yeah, that's a strategic decision that, you know, you really shouldn't be, shouldn't be making on your own. You know, you should be, yeah. you know, conversing and, and, and you know, uh, mind melding is what I call it, <laughs> mind melding with others who can give you some, some input as far as that's concerned. So with that being said, do you see any um, uh, supply changes coming down the pipe that we need to be, you know, such as steel or yeah. what do you see coming down the pipe? that we yeah. should be paying attention to in case it might impact. Yeah, well, the supply chain challenges have uh, hurt a lot of, of businesses, large and small. And we have 
labeled these as supply chain issues. And you think about that ship that clogged up the Suez Canal. All right, that is really a supply chain issue. Uh, but a lot of the supply chain issues were really labor issues. So I work with a, a company that uh, uses a lot of brass to make you know, manufactured products and their um, shipment of brass, of incoming brass raw material was, was delayed and they were getting nervous about having to stop production. So they call up their supplier, get on the phone and the supplier says, your brass is sitting on a truck outside my office, a thousand miles away from your plant. And I cannot yet find a truck driver to get the brass to you. So it showed up as a supply chain problem, but it was a labor problem. And other companies wanted to increase production of whether it's, you know, an electronic timer or whether it's something else. Uh, other companies wanted to increase their production to meet demand. I was talking to a woman who runs a manufacturing company in Little Rock, Arkansas, and she says, people are calling wanting my product and I cannot find workers to add a shift, I'm I'm just barely able to keep the ones I've got. So I cannot increase my production because of labor. And then those other companies said, well, we would increase our production, but we can't get this, you know, this product from yeah. Little Rock. So uh, labor is probably the biggest issue for our past supply chain problems, but labor is getting easier. And I am talking to business leaders now specifically about that, running a LinkedIn poll. And what I'm hearing is that uh, for some businesses, they say it's, it's harder than a year ago, but maybe half the businesses say it's easier to hire now than it was a year ago. And about a fourth say it's the same and a fourth say it's, it's, it's harder. So net net, it seems to be getting easier to hire and that will calm some of the supply chain issues. And yeah. then we also had supply chain issues starting with the, the summer of 2020, you know, the pandemic. People could not take vacations, they could not go out to restaurants, could not go to concerts. So they used their money to buy stuff, things, physical objects that had to, uh, in many cases, come in uh, to the country from overseas, or they had to be produced locally. And, you know, the port of Los Angeles and Long Beach had all these ships at anchor because we were trying to buy more stuff. And we were actually getting more stuff across the docks and loaded into trains and trucks to go into the heartland of America. But we, we wanted so much stuff and we we're only able to increase a little bit that we had a clog there. Yeah. The supply chain issues on average are getting better. That doesn't mean that anybody listening here is going to have an easier time, but right. on average, they're getting better. And I believe they're going to get better, right. but it's worth thinking about um, a business's supply, uh, yeah. supply chain. And now it's hard, the smaller the business, the harder it is. Uh, a large corporation can set up multiple suppliers for a given part. Uh, you, you know, the small business typically does not have the volume, but it's worth thinking about what 
the reliability of a given supplier is. And if the part is is crucial to the company, uh, it's worth to pay worthwhile to pay up for a more reliable supplier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of companies are trying to buy locally or buy American. And it's not so much a sense of patriotism, but just the reliability of the supply chain. If you order a product and it's going to be six months before it gets to you, and then that's subject to interruptions, it's maybe worth paying a little bit more. But so many businesses are under such tight margins that pay more feels bad. So this is another strategic decision of how to organize uh, a critical supply chain. Right. Right. I know when we went through, um, I want to say back in 2006, 2004, there was a shortage in steel. Or -hmm. actually, no, it was back in the early 2000s when I was working down in Brazil, there was a shortage in steel. And evidently, um, I, I think it was because of the, I was down in Brazil preparing for the upcoming Olympics and, and World oh, yeah. Cup games, you know, infrastructurally. <laughs> and, um, but at the same time, there was a shortage in um, raw metals and steel yeah. because China had bought it all up for the yeah. Olympics that they were, had just recently done, you know, that right. type yeah. deal. So, um, yeah. So what do you see moving forward that what what are some of the items that you see or do you see any that we need to be paying attention to do you see any changes in supply? You, you mean uh, specifically on, on supply exactly yeah. yeah i think that uh like i said i think the supply chain issue uh will improve and a lot of that has to do with labor and also as we have Re- rebounded from the pandemic, we're flying, or at least trying to fly, depending upon airline issues. Yeah. Uh, we're trying to, to spend our money. And I think we're actually going to see a resurgence of more leisure travel. We're already doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So at business travel is not bounced back because we've learned about Zoom. Um, yeah. You know, That's... I did not fly to Orlando for this conversation. No, uh, no, at, no. Right. So um, the the shift uh, to back to services for consumer spending and away from goods, you know, I was talking to a group of boat manufacturers last year, and their orders had gone through the roof. People said, okay, I can't uh, vacation in Spain, let's buy a boat. But I suspect that many of those purchases, whether it's uh, boats or bicycles or blinds for the living room, many of those purchases would have happened anyway, but later on. So people were buying stuff in 2020, 2021, and spilling over into 2022 that they might have bought normally without the pandemic in 23, 24, 25. So some of that spending that helped some companies is was just borrowing from the future and the future is going to come and it's like oh um the people who would normally have bought a boat in 2024 they bought it in 2021 so i think that the supply chain issue may improve for a bad reason which is just demand for physical goods goes down plus you have a recession which I think is coming and that will further 
diminished demand for discretionary purchases, not so much for, you know, uh, diapers and paper towels, but for the things that, uh, uh, you know, electronic equipment and home furnishings will right. probably take a hit. And th that will help supply chain issues. Right, exactly. And one of the things, some one of the trends that we saw through the pandemic, you know, and is still continuing now to a degree is that that convenience aspect. Okay. Yeah. When we start, when, when the pandemic started and we were stuck at home, you know, and things like that, we found out we could get by on less money. And so therefore yeah. we were able to do certain things without having to make the big paychecks. Yeah. And you know, I think that varies a lot from, from family to family. Yeah, yeah. And I think there are some people doing that. Uh, other people, I think, had the stimulus checks and they were still working. And they said, hey, um, instead of um, uh, cooking, let's use Grubhub and get yeah. food delivered. You know, yeah. I, so I, I've got kids in there, you know. At, yeah. at an age where, you know, having food delivered makes more sense than cooking it yourself. Yeah. Uh, and, but I think, and also just the whole ability to shop online as well as to get food delivered, delivered drinks delivered, delivered in many areas. And you're have, not spending have, the money on gas that you used to spend. Right, right. You know, I, I mean, you know, it's gotten to the point where I can go with a tank of gas for almost three weeks in my car now. Right, you know, right, yeah. Because, like yeah. you said, a lot of my meetings are held virtually now. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm starting to get out there and do some things, but you know, so you know, what do you think? Um, you know, let's let's take a look right now. What is the one thing that business leaders should be thinking top of mind moving forward over the next twelve months? Yeah. Um, I'm glad you clarified for the next 12 months because there's a different set of issues if we're thinking three to five years out. Exactly. And we no, probably I don't want to go any farther okay. than 12 months. All right. All right. Uh, 12 months, I would say uh, getting ready for recession. Yeah. And like I say, it'll hit different uh, sectors, different times. Uh, I suggest a, a one sheet of paper process where... Um, you know, the uh, business leader either sits down uh, alone or maybe with a couple of key managers if they're trusted people in the business uh, and sketches out on the on, on one side of the, of the sheet of paper. Hey, if a recession comes, if our sales and orders go down, what will we want to do? And the categories vary from company to company, but they usually include staffing. Uh, capital spending, you know, buying equipment or or, or real estate. Um, if products are being sold on credit, and certainly in the business to business space, often uh, shipments are made with payment in thirty days or ninety days. Uh, trade credit standards should be there. How much inventory for businesses that have inventory should we should we hold? And just sketch out that. Well, first of all, itemize the things that. Uh, a business might do to help cash flow, to slow the outflow, speed up the inflow, and then circle those items that would be action steps. Uh, some of them you put on the list, but they're trivial. You right. know, my, my, 
my barbershop sells a little bit of product, but most, but that's kind of trivial. I wouldn't worry about inventory if I were a barbershop, but if I'm a retailer, yeah, you got to worry about, or a wholesaler, yeah. I've got to worry about inventory. So, and then sketch out what you would want to do in each of those cases. And you might sketch out uh, a mild recession, uh, idea a moderate recession idea severe recession severe being hey the the existence of the company is threatened is at risk you know what do we do to survive and that gives you like a, a set of action steps right and 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 dana i think that creating this list now where most companies are kind of relaxed is going to have two significant benefits the first is if we've thought it through ahead of time we'll respond faster right so right. I, I was writing this book the flexible stance thriving in a boom bust economy and as i was thinking about businesses that survive recession i called up friends of mine who were bankers and i was in the banking industry for a while and people had been loan officers or workout um officers special credits they call it and i said hey what's the difference between a company that survives the recession and a company that does not survive a recession what have you seen in your experience and the most common answer i got was the companies that survive took action promptly. Yeah. The companies that failed, oh, they didn't want to cut staff. They didn't want to cut, you know, this or that. Uh, they hoped that things would change and they did not take action early enough. So so that that's the first benefit, but there's a second benefit. And the second benefit is uh, if you're not in crisis now and you think through, what will we do if bad times come? then you can make decisions that reflect the company's long-term vision, goals, and values. Whereas if you're panicked, you're not making payroll or on the corporate level, you're not meeting Wall Street expectations. Uh, but back to the small business, you're not meeting payroll. You know, you've got a bank loan and you may not be able to pay it. Uh, you may have leased some equipment that's going to be pulled back. Uh, you may be kicked out of your, your office space. I, In those conditions, most humans do not make their best decisions. But if they've thought it through ahead of time, they can say, okay, you know, this is the plan. And when it comes time to implement the plan to pull the trigger, you know, there'll probably be adjustments needed from when you did this exercise. That's fine. But most of the steps will probably uh, still be valid. Right. And a little bit of tweaking and in a day or two, um, you know, snap the fingers, implement the plan. And that's a key to um, surviving. Okay. And, and and at some point in this conversation, we had to talk about how to set a company up to uh, to thrive in the rebound because there's another set of steps there. Well, let's 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 do that first before we move on to that section. Okay, yeah. let's talk about if you're going to sit down and you're going to start thinking about and planning what you're going to do. What are five top things you should be considering? during yeah. the planning process. Yeah, I, you know, I'm going to say um, staffing, capital spending, 
inventories if you have inventories who you extend credit to and under what terms and it, it, let me elaborate on that i think the others are are kind of obvious but if you have a salesperson that salesperson in a recession is likely going to come in and say to the boss we need to have easier credit terms because uh, our our sales are down we need to sell more our competitors are offering easier terms delayed payment and we'll finance it we'll carry it for a marginal credit uh, so there's a tendency to want to ease your credit terms as business goes down, but that is exactly the worst time to ease yeah. credit terms. If anything, you have to, to tighten. If, if a company is being late on payment, no, let's not ship more product. And about, yeah. Yeah. What about if you were to offer, say, third-party financing so that you got paid up front? Yeah. Okay, and let yeah. the, and let the the uh, credit company worry about. I, I like that, and uh, you know that's not the thing that comes to my economist mind, and that's yeah. why somebody like you or other, um, you know, it, it's worth talking to bankers, accountants, other small business owners, as well as consultants to get some ideas here that right. you know an economist right. may not come right. up with. Exactly. But but I like that. Yeah. 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 Um, and some companies find that uh, uh, leasing equipment for that reason is a exactly. little bit better than than, than, than purchasing. Yeah. And one of the things I tell my clients is if you're going to go into debt, go into debt for revenue generation. OK, yeah. so make sure that the money that you borrow is going towards making more money. As opposed to just paying past exactly. old bills. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so let's, let's talk about, okay, we get through the recession. Yeah. How do we scale? How yeah. do we move forward? Yeah. Um, you know, there's an interesting story about the Caterpillar company, you know, the big yellow machines, and they did some upside contingency planning. Um, so, you know, I suggested one sheet of paper. And, uh, you know, you have a sheet of paper, but then you turn it over and there's a backside and you think through what are the challenges we will face in the upside. And Caterpillar did that after the 2008, 2009. They actually did that going into the recession. What are the challenges we're going to face? And oftentimes there's, they call it a bullwhip effect where uh, businesses had falling sales, so they cut their inventories, and then uh, sales rebound in the recovery, uh, and dealers are placing orders. This is the Caterpillar story. Um, dealers are placing orders with Caterpillar, both for the products they're selling to replace the products they're selling, but the dealers also want to carry more inventory, you know, uh, and so Caterpillar is seeing two reasons oops two reasons to boost production um and uh some of their vendors some of their suppliers to caterpillar are small businesses that just could not scale up that fast so ahead of time caterpillar said to its uh small business vendors hey are you going to be able to scale up quickly now the average small business is not in that 
position, but the process of let's think through what are our challenges. And um, there are some challenges, but let, let me tell you a couple of stories of companies that I saw thrive in uh, uh, recoveries, uh, surprisingly so. There was a company, uh, I think in Arizona, that uh, told me that they had done a great job of growing market share in the recession. And they're a wholesaler of fasteners, nuts, bolts, rivets, that kind of stuff. Their customers are primarily uh, construction contractors and manufacturers. And those are very cyclical parts of the economy. So I'm like, oh man, uh, you must have had a lousy time in the recession. And they said, well, what we did was we prioritized um, having inventory. And you know, I was just saying, hey, watch inventory. But they wanted to have things in stock. And the people who were still doing business were calling up their usual supplier. I need a, a three and an eighth inch concrete lag bolt. And their supplier was saying, oh, we're out of stock of that. So they called the other wholesalers and they found that this company always had the stuff in stock. So pretty soon those contractors didn't call their old vendor. They called the outfit that always had it in stock. And that company, uh, their, their volume didn't really grow during the recession, but then it blossomed because all these people were used to calling whatever the, the the company was so, so that's a good story and then uh, there's another story and it uh, starts in, in 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 your town of orlando i'm on a plane flying from orlando to atlanta and then i'm gonna head off to um uh, my home in portland oregon and the woman sitting next to me was headed to dublin ireland uh, she had been in orlando for a hair products show and she explained to me that she had three beauty salons in dublin and this was a great show for weaves and wigs and extensions and that stuff and i was afraid she was going to tell me all about these hair products which i was not very interested in mm -hmm. but uh, she asked me what i did i mentioned i'm an economist and she said that she told me her recession story and this was a couple of years after the 2008 2009 wow. recession she said the recession was the best thing that ever happened to her business i looked down at my tray table to see how many drinks i'd had because yeah. <laughs> maybe uh, you know yeah. how can the recession be good but her story was in the good times before the recession she was in sort of middle quality locations and aspired to having top quality locations uh, in wealthier neighborhoods with better traffic going by the place, but she wasn't ready to pull the trigger on the high rents. Mm -hmm. So she built up her cash and waited, didn't know what she was waiting for. She was just couldn't bring herself to pay those rents. When the recession came, she bided her time a little bit uh, saw some great locations that had been empty for six months, went to the landlord and say, hey, you've got a, a, a location there. Nobody is in it. Nobody's paying your rent. And I don't, when I go by, I don't see anybody uh, touring the property. Uh, she says, I could maybe take that from you, sign a lease, but it would have to be at a current appropriate rental nothing. rate. Yeah, yeah something's exactly. better than nothing. So 
and so and, and you're seeing a lot of that with COVID. I mean, with the pandemic, you're seeing a lot of commercial spaces. Commercial companies have decreased their amount of square footage. Yeah, right. <laughs> and more and more um, square footage is available at a lower rate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Uh, I told her a story about the McKinsey consulting firm, one of the big global consulting firms. They did a study of multinational corporations, I mean, huge companies. And they said, um, what do the top 20% of multinational companies do differently than the bottom 80% evaluated at over like a 20-year average profitability? And the best companies are cautious in the boom. They're cautious in the boom when everybody else is eager and enthusiastic and optimistic and they build up their financial resources. Then in the bust, they start buying. That's when they uh, acquire other companies or property. And so I would suggest to small businesses, you know, um, you want to go into the recovery with some some cash if if you possibly can. And this is a good time to think, what would I want to do if um, there's a lot of distress? Maybe I want to move into a new territory and there's going to be somebody selling a business because they've gone bankrupt. Maybe I want more real estate or more equipment. Maybe I can pick it up cheap from somebody who's gone bust. Uh, the hairdresser bought inventory from the bankrupt salons at uh, uh, cents on the dollar or pennies on the euro, you know, whatever. Um, and there's a company I work with uh, in Seattle, Washington, that wants to expand. Uh, they have a lot of technical employees, uh, but they don't want to get in a bidding war now when business is good uh, to get those people. So they are being in touch with the folks they would like to hire mm -hmm. now, but they're not offering them huge salaries. But the idea is when a recession comes to their sector, they know who they want to hire. And if those people are working at companies that are cutting back, either you know doing layoffs or just maybe not paying bonuses and trimming benefits, uh, this company knows who they want to hire. So there are some strategies to set a business up to uh, come out in the rebound stronger than ever before. Yeah, one thing that has not been mentioned here is strategically partnering to expand your product offerings or your geographic yeah. area. You know, that's that's a less expensive way of uh, gaining more market share and and more yeah. um, um being able to expand your product lines horizontally and vertically. So <laughs> that's another thing there, you know. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I don't have a good a good yep. anecdote on that, but uh, I, I I think it, it's a plausible strategy. And again, it gets into the uh, how far away from our old knitting, you know, stick to the knitting, uh, how far away from that we ought to go. But uh, I have been in companies and I've seen, oh, you know, they sell this, but they're also selling that. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. A, a, yeah. a product extension well, makes sense. When you think about it, you know, <laughs> by strategically partnering, you can be building a funnel system that may lead to one of your products that you can't enter the market with, you uh -huh. know. 
So um, this this strategic partner may have a product that they can um, uh, funnel into your product, and you're just sharing revenue streams. So you know, right, and that yeah. may very well be a lot cheaper than developing a new product yourself, a new product or hiring new staff or anything like that. So you know, um, but the key is in order to survive not only this upcoming recession but also after in the recovery period is knowing your cash flow and knowing where you're going to get that cash flow. That's going to be your number one concern. If you have to factor, if you have to, you know, do provide third-party financing, if you, you know, um, what was I thinking? (laughs) You have contracts, you can go to the bank, use the contracts as collateral. Sure. You know, those kind of things. So, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I was chatting with a a, a friend who's um, an accountant turned CFO for a mid-sized company and now a consultant. And I said, "How many companies have good cash flow forecasts?" And he says, "Well, the small businesses he works with." They watch their um, checkbook very carefully. Checkbook, sort of a metaphor for short-term cash. They watch their checkbook fairly carefully and they have a decent idea of what's going out and what's coming in. But he observed that they don't pay enough attention to the balance sheet. And I don't know if this is true, but he says uh, inventory is a balance sheet item. Accounts receivable. Uh, you know, you don't see that on the monthly profit and loss, yeah. Yeah. but it's something to look at and it bears attention, especially as we go into weaker economy, uh, following up on those accounts receivable. Right. Um, a, a friend of mine who's a private equity investor was telling me that uh, they bought a, a, a company that uh, uh, maybe 50 million in annual sales and they found that the um the billing process you know cutting invoices was so uh backed up that they often wouldn't bill people for 30 days after the product or service was delivered wow and that just speeding up to make sure that you know the day or the next day um, the invoice goes out, sped up. And then, you know, nobody likes to do collections, but, you know, following up on people who are not paying on time, you know, in many cases, it's um, just a simple error or delay. It's on a stack of papers, particularly if you're dealing with, with small businesses. Um, and then on, on that subject, there are some large corporations that are, you know, routinely pay- paying their bills in 120 days, but often they're flexible. Yeah. Uh, if if you find For the right time. person to say, and you say, hey, I'm a small business, I, I just, you know, I've got to pay wages on time. That's the law. Yeah. I've got to pay for my inputs promptly because I'm, you know, dealing with small businesses that will go out of business if I try to you know, delay it 120 days. Mm-hmm. If you want me to ship this product, you just have to pay faster. Right. Or at least collect your expenses up front. Yeah. Yeah. That's another, uh, another option to consider. Yeah. yeah. And um, no, I, especially when you're on the um, manufacturing or the distribution side where you've got a, you know, 90, 120 day delay, 
yeah. between payments, you know, delivery yeah. and payments. So um, those are the kind of things that that should be taken into consideration. Cash flow is the, the fastest way for you to start getting into trouble, you know, when it yeah. comes. Or to, lack of cash flow. Yeah, that's what I mean. Lack of cash flow. Fastest and, you way to yeah, and, uh, you know, I do uh, a, a lot of presentations to corporate boards and trade associations, and you know they're you know almost entirely honest people. You know they say, hey, they're going to pay a fee and my expenses, but uh, I sure like to have a deposit up front before I spend a thousand bucks on a plane ticket to go. Right to wherever I'm supposed to go. Right. It's like, right. um, I shouldn't be laying out money before they're laying out money. Yeah, no, that's and or let them I think, buy your ticket, you know, let yeah. them buy your ticket, so. Right, it's, uh, there's a lot to be said for making sure that the customer has skin in the game. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Well, we're coming up on the end of another podcast here and I could keep going on with Bill here. I, I'm very much as a strategist, I'm always looking ahead. I'm always looking at the environment around us, you know, those kind of things. So this is exciting to me. Bill, before you sign off, can you have any last minute uh, tips or anything for our, for our listeners? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go back to uh, do a little contingency planning. Both sides of a piece of paper. Um, what would you want to do if your sales or orders start declining? And what do you want to do if you think those sales and orders are going to go up? And I suggest this be an annual exercise. Yeah. And um, it does not need to be a three ring binder exercise, probably should not be. Although sometimes I say, you know, they might hire a consultant to do it if it's a three ring binder exercise. Right. But even I think big companies can do it on one one sheet of paper, one side for the down side uh, and the reverse side of the paper for um, upside contingency plans. Uh, think ahead. And uh, the other thing is there's a lot of value in talking with other small business owners. Yes. And when you can find a trusted group, I have uh, six people who are independent consultants, speakers, trainers, coaches, and we get together every month for a few hours and share uh, successes and failures. Hey, I, I think I messed up. I don't know how I could have done it better, but I had a bad result here. And people start telling me, and I would suggest, you know, get in a mastermind group, find people to, to talk over your challenges with. Are really great when, you know, especially as a small business owner, being able to, you know, talk amongst other small business owners and share experiences, lessons learned, you know, things like yeah. that. Um, we run one on a regular basis twice a month right now with small business owners, especially small business owners who are pursuing federal contracts. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, um, a typical small business owner will run into other small business owners, either in a, a, a business transaction or, you know, a chamber of commerce meeting. But, you know, people tend to put on a happy face in those casual conversations. Oh, yeah. But where you get benefit is you get to know the people and you let your hair down and you're honest and you're honest about your successes, you know, but you're also honest about your failures mm -hmm. and being, you know, willing to say, Hey, um, you know, I, I messed up. 
um, how do I prevent this from happening again? Yeah. We'll, we'll pay dividends. No, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Well, this has been Charged Up Studio with your host, Dan Olivo, and we come every week on Tuesdays. Um, if you are interested in um, checking out Bill, you can uh, reach them how? Uh, ConnerlyConsulting.com, uh, but uh, you don't have to worry about whether you spell it right. Just take your best guess at Connerly, C-O-N-E-R-L-Y. But even if you get it wrong, Mr. Google knows how to find me, Connerly Consulting. And I have a, um, a book, The Flexible Stance, Thriving in a Boom-Bust Economy. Uh, you can get it from my website or from Mr. Amazon. And I'd be happy also yeah. to take email questions from anybody listening here. Just say that uh, you were listening to this great podcast so I can separate your email from the groupies and stalkers who so bedevil handsome young economists. Well, thank you, Bill. Once again, this is Dan Olivo. I wish you all a great week and go out and have another charged up week. Talk to you later. You've been listening to Charged Up Studio Live, the podcast with you, the small business owner in mind, with your host, Dana Olivo. Join us every Tuesday as we bring you valuable tips and insights into many of the topics you don't know you don't know about growing a successful business. Please leave us a review on any of the streaming platforms you are listening to or visit us on the YouTube or Facebook page and leave a review or subscribe so you don't miss another episode. You can also support us through Patreon by visiting our website, chargedupstudio.live and click on the Patreon link. Until next week, go out and have a charged up week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.